What's up, Cyber and Crypto friends and family? Hope everybody's having a good week. Today is Tuesday, May 21st, 2019, and this is episode 72 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. I had a question the other day. Somebody asked me uh, why I started this podcast, so I'll get into that here in just a second. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. That's CyberCryptoGuy on Twitter. You can follow me on there. also want to say that all the opinions expressed on this podcast are solely my opinion and do not reflect that of my employer. All right, so going back to what I said initially, somebody asked me why I started a podcast with cybersecurity and cryptocurrency. They basically told me that they don't go together, and I laughed, and they didn't understand that they go together quite a bit. You can look at things like the recent Binance hack that happened. Hackers were using typical phishing campaigns and compromised numerous accounts to get in and send all those funds out all at once. You can look at ransomware, and attackers only want to be paid in Bitcoin. There's a lot of cross-pollination between cybersecurity and cryptocurrency, so if you're ever wondering the backstory, that's kind of why I started. I also am just extremely passionate about both topics, so I didn't see anybody else that had a podcast like that, so I decided to make one, so here we are. All right, on to the good stuff. Today we're going to talk a little bit about some new malware that's out. I'm going to talk about Slack vulnerabilities facial recognition technology, and OneDrive, Microsoft OneDrive integrations in Office 365. On the crypto side, obviously we're going to talk about the prices and what's going on. Going to talk a little bit about the startup company called Circle. Going to talk about Ethereum, what's coming up for them. A little more about Bittrex, and a little more about Binance. Alright, so we will start the cryptocurrency side of things. It's been uh, quite, the last couple of weeks has been quite exciting to see the prices. Uh, Bitcoin's been going up and down. Overall trend is upward, so that's obviously great for investors out there. As of right now, we're sitting at 79.75 for one Bitcoin, so that's not bad at all. Ethereum's up to 257. So overall, very good trends. Ethereum's you know, up about a hundred bucks from where it was just a couple of weeks ago. So, and Bitcoin's up more than double from the beginning of this year. So, great overall trends there. Everybody's been saying that the crypto winter is over and we've survived the crypto winter. I'm always in the wait and see kind of mode, but all indications point to that we're in another. We're gonna we're starting another bubble essentially and. The price will go way, 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 way up, and eventually it will pop and come back down to earth a little bit. But over the long term, the price still is higher than it was the previous year, regardless of bubbles. But if you ride those bubbles correctly, you can you can do pretty good for yourself, make some good, good money there. So on the Binance topic, they did start trading again. They allowed deposits and withdrawals again on their platform they've implemented some new security controls supposedly so that's a good sign and anybody that was hacked got all their funds back because they had a spare fund just sitting around for incidents just like this so 
kudos to Binance on that. Uh, their Binance coin took a little dip, and it's pretty much right back up to where it was now. So there was a lot of speculation that when Binance reopened for trading, that it, Bitcoin prices were going to take a huge hit. It's actually quite the opposite. It went it went up. Uh, we touched 8,300 shortly after Binance re-enabled all their trading stuff. So we're down about 400 bucks from that, but still floating right around that $8,000 mark for Bitcoin. So overall, very cool stuff there. But definitely want to give kudos to Binance for being prepared for a cyber attack like that and having the funds available to you know, pay back everybody and make sure that it doesn't hurt their brand or their reputation. And by all accounts, everybody seems to be perfectly okay with it now. They've paid everybody back. The exchange is back up and running, and away we go. So kudos to them for that. All right, wanted to talk a little bit about Ethereum. What's going on with them? Article came out today about the Ethereum 2.0 upgrades and what's going on there. Uh, apparently, they're going to spend about $30 million this year on key projects for Ethereum. Uh, they called it Ethereum 2.0. Um, they also have what they're calling Layer 2 scaling projects, such as Plasma project is called. But I think the big focus that uh, a big takeaway, I guess, for me was Ethereum 2.0 and what that's going to mean. That's that's going to be a huge change from where we are now with Ethereum. Right now it's proof of work. Ethereum 2.0 is going to move to proof of stake. So will people buy into that? I don't know. All indications seem to say that yes, most people will. But I guess it's obviously yet to be seen. Either way, proof of stake is a huge change from their current network structure. So Instead of mining, you'll be running Ethereum nodes, and you'll be staking, basically holding on to funds in your wallet and earning rewards by holding those funds. Prices have gone up a little bit, so the reward value per year is slightly better. Uh, again, it's still in the 5% range. If you're staking 32 Ethereum, it's still about 5%. But since the prices have gone up about 100 bucks, you get a little bit more over the year. Either way, all expenses paid and whatnot, you're making 80 to 100 bucks a year uh, with staking. Whereas right now, if you're still mining for Ethereum, uh, depending on how much hardware you have, you could be earning way more than that per year. You might be earning, you know, a couple thousand a month if you got enough stuff. If you just got a small rig at home or something, you could earn 100 bucks a month. So. I'll be interested to see how many people will jump on board with the staking. I think it's great for the environment, but will people buy into it? That's the part that I don't know. Um, Where's the incentive, basically, to run these nodes, and who's going to want to run them for such a small profit? Now, if the price goes up like it's uh, been trending here lately, then, hey, you know, this might be more profitable and more people would want to do it. But you do have to have 32 Ethereum to be able to run one of these nodes and make any kind of rewards. So anyway, that's that's kind of the big news about Ethereum. They are saying that they're going to complete the projects this year, uh, and they're pushing to move to Ethereum 2.0 next year. So get ready for that. If you're mining and whatnot now, mine away, because it's going to be 
No more mining next year, apparently. And if you want to get into the staking game, now is probably the best time to buy Ethereum and sit on it. Prices are still generally low. Uh, if you get in on it now, you can definitely make some good money when the prices go back up. All right, some other news about the exchange called Bittrex. They partnered with a company called Identity Mind, and they're starting to implement uh, AML. If you're not familiar with AML, the acronym is Anti-Money Laundering. And um, essentially, this is just regulations that are being pushed from uh, the U.S. My biggest question for everybody in the Bitcoin crypto space in general how does it make you feel to have the regulations now? Do you feel like it's a completely different system now? It's no longer open uh, if it's going to be regulated like that? I certainly do. With more and more regulations being thrown on top of this, and I understand, you know, they want to protect U.S. citizens. I, I get that. But at the same time, Bitcoin was meant to be open, untrackable, untraceable, all those things completely anonymous well now if you register for any crypto exchange you have to and you're a u.s citizen you have to give them all your identity information and all that kind of stuff just to verify who you are so bitrex is jumping on board with that uh, coinbase did the same thing recently binance has already done this as well they did that quite a while back so more and more of these exchanges even crypto bridge uh, started doing this to U.S. citizens. So interesting to see that trend, and it makes me wonder what people will think of crypto once there's even more regulations on cryptocurrencies. Will they even want to use it at all? I don't know. I guess we'll see. All right, some other news here about the uh, crypto startup called Circle. Uh, I use Circle for a little bit. They have an app uh, for your phone that you can get. And you can buy, sell, and trade cryptos, and super easy to do. Well, apparently they're laying off 10% of their staff and essentially saying that the market is not good anymore and they were concerned about regulatory uh, complications and they were uncertain about it and yada, yada, yada. So... Uh, apparently, Circle is also owned by the exchange Polonex, or Poloniex, however you say that. Um, and they're based out of Boston, uh, with also a, a New York office as well. But nonetheless, Circle is looks like they're fading into the darkness. So if you've used Circle or you still have funds with them, you may want to pull it out and put it somewhere else Uh Kind of just in case. They're not going to close out your account without telling you they're going to first, but as a precaution, you might want to get out of there now while you can. All right, let's jump over to cybersecurity. Facial recognition has been a pretty big topic over the last week or so, and there's a bunch of lawsuits going around. Uh, California's Senate uh, is potentially going to ban facial recognition technology and police body cameras. I thought that was interesting. In the United Kingdom, uh, human rights activists are suing uh, police departments over facial recognition software use. Essentially, both of these are stating that it's not consensual for them to, you know, they're not allowing them to use their 
facial recognition, um, meaning that you know the cop walks up to you, the facial recognition software reads your identity essentially and says, "Oh, this guy's got three thousand warrants and he's he's ready to go to jail." So they're suing these police departments over the use of that technology. It's scary to see the use of this technology is it's just so. I guess, wide open right now. There's really no... And that's why there's these lawsuits now. It's because they're they're just using it and there's no consent uh, for them to use it. There's no government backing that says, yes, you can use this. So that's why there is some lawsuits now against this. But that's definitely a privacy concern if you think about it. Uh, China already does a lot of this stuff. And, you know, if you live there, they just kind of say, well, sorry, you live here and that's what we're going to do. And you don't really have a choice. Uh, but in the U.S. and the U.K., it's slightly different. So be interesting to see what those what comes of those lawsuits. Will they actually stop using that tech? I guess we will wait and see. Even uh, several months ago, there was some speculation that Facebook was doing a bunch of facial recognition stuff. And people were freaking out about that because... They were concerned that Facebook was then sharing that facial recognition technology with, uh, you know, FBI, whoever else that, that would need it uh, to be able to catch criminals. So facial recognition tech's getting pretty big here lately. All right, some other news here about Slack. If you use Slack, they had a very weird vulnerability. Essentially, if... You're using Slack and somebody sends you a uh, masqueraded link in a Slack channel and you click on it, it would silently change the download location of the Slack client to an attacker-owned SMB share. This was found by the company Tenable that also makes the product Nessus, which is a vulnerability scanner. Um, so basically what that would allow them to do is then any other documents or whatever is downloaded into that uh, folder, the attacker could then upload that to an attacker-owned server, potentially. So that was a very odd vulnerability, but certainly interesting to see. Uh, looks like Slack has already patched this vulnerability, so if you use it, you might want to go ahead and do the updates there if you haven't already. Uh, Slack did their own internal investigation and found that uh, there was no indication that this vulnerability was ever used. Uh, and there's also no reports uh, from any end users that this was happening. So that's a good sign. But certainly make sure you got Slack updated if you use that. And the last thing for cybersecurity, the malware now that's coming out, uh, they're calling it URL Zone. And it morphs into a downloader. And essentially, it's using phishing initially. So, of course, that's the, the, main, the main way that people get hacked is through phishing. From there, they are phishing people with steganography, which executes a PowerShell command. And that's, that PowerShell command is basically what uh, they're able to use to install malware on your computer. So that's quite sophisticated there. Certainly interesting to see steganography being used again. But phishing... There it is. Clear as day. Still the biggest number one threat of all time, unfortunately. One more thing I wanted to touch on for cybersecurity. Um, I've been looking at a lot of Office 365 things lately, 
and we've been debating turning off um, the OneDrive integrations. And there's so many things that are tied into OneDrive uh, if you use Office 365. For example, OneDrive is tied into the Teams app. The Teams app is the replacement of Skype. So if you use Teams and you want to share a file, it shares that file through OneDrive. So you can't really disable OneDrive. I mean, you can, but it would prevent that file sharing capability in Teams. It also affects SharePoint. So if you do anything in SharePoint and you disable OneDrive, that could totally screw up your SharePoint sites as well. So the integrations are so embedded that really you have to keep them on. And that poses a risk, at least in my opinion. Uh, when accounts get compromised, attackers will get into somebody's OneDrive folder and create an anonymous link and fish other people using that anonymous link. Or they'll get into their account and use SharePoint, for example, to do you know, a SharePoint site that's malicious. You'll also notice, too, when you create a, a share from OneDrive, the link oftentimes says the word SharePoint in the link. So more of a frustration for me than anything else. I would really like these to be independent of each other and not so heavily integrated, especially if you wanted to harden your environment and turn off the things that you know you don't use without breaking all of the other things that maybe you do use. I don't know if Microsoft will ever break those apart enough or at least give you the option to unlink them or use something else. I, I doubt it. But just one more thing to, to keep in mind if you use Office 365, there's so many integrations with, and not just OneDrive, it's, it's all across the board. There's so many integrations, and if you're trying to do any kind of hardening, it makes it quite difficult with all those integrations because you don't know what else is going to break. Anyway, just uh, thought I'd share that, kind of figured that out over the last few weeks here, and just wanted to share that with everybody. All right, folks, that's all I got for today. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. On Twitter, it's CyberCryptoGuy. Check me out on there. I retweet a bunch of the stuff that we talk about here on the show. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.